Good morning, Living Word Bible Church. Uh, happy Easter to you. I bring greetings to you this morning from uh, the Jackson Five here in Prospect, from myself and Adele, Stella, Sebastian and Fletcher, and also Easter greetings to you from City Light Church, North Adelaide. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. There's a story of a man who went to church one Sunday evening. He was sitting in the pews and he sat there growing increasingly frustrated with the preacher. Uh, after the gathering, he went up to the preacher, grabbed him and said, mate, you've got to work on your sermons. Every time I come here, I hear the same thing. And the pastor said, that's because you come once a year on Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. What am I going to be bringing to you today? I'm going to be bringing you a message of encouragement about the resurrection of Jesus from the grave and the empty tomb. And it's a message I think we need more than ever before. In this moment in history, amidst the COVID-19 global pandemic, where death and our mortality is ever present before us, we need the hope of the empty tomb. You know, I began to write this message on Wednesday. At lunchtime, I sat down for a break. I turned on ABC radio and Stephen Marshall was on the radio announcing the second death in South Australia from COVID-19. Now we're at three. This morning, I was thinking of the, the song from 2009 by Alicia Keys called New York. In that song, she says, New York, the concrete jungle where dreams are made of. And yet so many dreams in New York and across the globe have become nightmares. As thousands of people succumb to COVID-19. The news tells us that um, just off the island of Manhattan in New York, they are digging mass graves because the numbers are so large. It is really awful, this particular situation we find ourselves in at this time. And yet there is hope, and therefore I can think of no better thing to talk about at this time in history than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, if you grasp the certainty and the implications of the resurrection, that in Jesus, because he is alive and well, we have forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus is alive and well, we are promised now an eternity with our maker. Because Jesus is alive and well, we will get a new body to dwell with God forever in the new creation. It changes absolutely everything. It changes how we live today, tomorrow and forever. It changes how we live and love in these times of COVID-19. You know, I received a, an email this, this week from a friend of mine whose husband died just a couple of years ago from liver cancer. I'll leave, read you a couple of sentences. The resurrection has taken on such a new preciousness and perspective for me again. For obvious reasons, but I guess I didn't expect it to hit me in this way. Hope of seeing my husband again and knowing where he is now is really the only place where I can find true comfort. I see Jesus triumph, triumph over death with a fresh sense of reality in an urgent, tangible and visceral way. And I know many of us can identify with that. Where we've lost someone we love. To know that they are at peace, out of pain and with their saviour now, that we will see them again is really quite profound and a beautiful, comforting reality. He is risen. 
The tomb is empty and that changes everything. And really, as God's people in this time, we really should be shouting this reality from the rooftops, shouting it from our lounge rooms, running down the street through our neighborhoods. Actually, don't do that. Stay at home. Shout it from your rooftops. Shout it from your front porch that Jesus is alive. There was an English uh, pastor and preacher who just for his whole life preached the crucifixion of Jesus and the beautiful resurrection of Jesus from the grave. He, he suffered from esophageal cancer. And two weeks before his death, it was Easter Sunday, and he just he mourned, he grieved the fact that he could no longer shout that with his own voice, that Jesus is risen. And so he grabbed a pen and some paper and wrote a note to his daughter. In it, he said this, It's terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout. He is risen, but it's more terrible still to have a voice and not want to shout that amazing truth. And yet most of our world is not shouting that truth. But that doesn't mean that this truth is any less wonderful or incredible. Changes today, it changes our tomorrow, it changes our eternity. The first words from the empty tomb on that first Easter morn, chapter 16, verse 6 of Mark's Gospel, records this. He has risen. He is not here. Just as he told you, look, come into the empty tomb. You'll not find Jesus here. He is alive. I hope you know that. I hope you know that at the center of the Christian faith, at the heart of the gospel, is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Jesus is not raised, our faith is futile. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Let me say, if Jesus isn't raised, if he isn't alive, then switch off this video and go and do what everyone else is doing with their life today, drinking soy decaf lattes they're making at home or binge watching Tiger King on Netflix, whatever it might be. Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are, as God's people, to be the most pitied of all. We are fools. But if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is well, then that changes everything. So this morning, brothers and sisters, I just want to do two things. I want to remind you of the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. So firstly, the certainty. Uh, Before I was uh, working as a full-time pastor, I was a researcher and then I was a physiotherapist. I like facts. I don't like fluffy feelings. I want evidence. And that's what I love about the good news of Jesus, what I love about the Christian faith is that it's built on history, evidence, facts. So let me just show you some of these. And firstly, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the empty tomb was predicted, predicted in the Old Testament, but also predicted by Jesus throughout the gospel, his life and ministry. He said on multiple occasions, I will be handed over, I will suffer, I'll be beaten, I'll die, but on the third day I'll rise again. And in Mark's gospel, Three key passion predictions, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Mark chapter 9, verse 31, Mark chapter 10, verse 33 to 34, where Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again on the third day. Now, just think about this. If Jesus did not rise, then he is in effect lying to us and nothing that he said or did we can trust. See, the resurrection was predicted out of the mouth of our Saviour himself. And and secondly, Jesus really 
was dead. That arrest, the dodgy trial, the floggings, the beatings, the, the, the nails through his hands and his feet, the spear through his side. Please don't tell me that Jesus wasn't dead. He was buried. You could find his tomb. Um, chapter 15, verse 43 of Mark's Gospel, we meet this wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, who offers his expensive, unused tomb for the body of Jesus. Jesus' body was laid there. There were burial clothes and a big stone rolled over the entrance. He really was buried. And then you've got the eyewitness accounts. Now, this is really, really important. When it comes to the evidence, the facts of the resurrection, scholars and experts say that the eyewitness accounts are absolutely crucial and they're really good. Why are they really good? Well, the experts say they were widespread, lots of attestations. They were credible, people that knew each other, and they were early. They, they came shortly after the actual resurrection of Jesus himself. Um, according to John Dixon, um, one of Australia's leading Christian historians and, and Christian commentators and apologists, on his um, Easter Myths podcast, on his podcast Undeceptions, um, he says that, that what we have in the New Testament, what we have in the Gospels is, quote, not the kind of testimony <clears throat> we'd expect if the resurrection was a developing legend or a complete myth. It's the kind of testimony we'd expect if the first Christians really did find Jesus' tomb empty and really did experience what they thought were appearances of Jesus risen from the dead, end of quote. But, you know, it's not just the Christians like John Dixon and others who say this kind of stuff. Um, Giza Vermesh, a professor of Jewish studies at Oxford University, he says this, quote, From these various records, the Gospels and the New Testament, two reasonably convincing points emerge. The women belonging to the entourage of Jesus discovered the empty tomb and were definite that it was the tomb. The rumour that the apostles stole the body is most improbable, end of quote. To the women who went to the tomb, um, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they saw it all. And this is massively convincing to people like Giza Vermesh and others. You know, the two Marys, right, saw Jesus die. Mark 15, verse 40, they were at the cross. Um, they saw where the tomb was. They were at the tomb, Mark 15, verse 47. They knew which tomb Jesus' body had been laid in. And they were at the empty tomb, Mark chapter 16, on that first and great and glorious and wonderful Easter morn. Now, I've said this before. Now, and if this was made up, right, you would not include women as eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. If this was a, a myth or a legend or a fraud, you would not include women because in the first century, a, a woman's testimony was not considered credible. But in God's amazing wisdom, perhaps even in his humour, he chose women to be the first eyewitnesses. Oh yeah, heaps of other people saw the risen Lord Jesus. The downcast disciples on the Emmaus Road, Luke chapter 24. Doubting Thomas, Peter, James, John, the Apostle Paul himself. 500 people at one time, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15. Lots of people. This is extraordinary. But it's not only the defenders of the faith who affirm this and its significance. For instance, Ed Sanders um, from Duke University in the US, who you don't find defending the Christian faith very often at all, says this, quote, 
that Jesus' followers and later Paul had resurrection experiences is, in my judgment, a fact. What the reality was that gave rise to those experiences, I do not know. End of quote. I mean, it's amazing. And then you've got the empty tomb. For this is a big one, right? I used to think that if you could just see Jesus uh, for myself, then I would that, well, that would be enough. But actually, the empty tomb is more important. See, if you just saw Jesus, you might think it was a ghost or a a hallucination, but the women went to the tomb and it was empty. Burial clothes folded, stone rolled away, no body. In 1887, 22 years after Abraham Lincoln had died, rumours spread that he wasn't really dead, that he was alive. Um, So what did they do? They went to the tomb and they dug up what remained, and they found a whole bunch of bones. Another 14 years later after that, so we're now 36 years after his death, the rumour that he was alive kind of resurfaced again, and so what did they do? They went back to the tomb, opened it up, dug down, and found some more bones, what still remained. The reality is, right, you could go to the tomb where Jesus was buried, and you could search and search and search and search and dig and dig and dig, and you will not find any bones at all. He is not there. He is risen. Please don't give me the empty tomb theory. Please don't give me the body was stolen by the authorities or the apostles or the disciples. The tomb was empty. You know, if you've ever lost someone you love, the the, the headstone or the tomb or the plaque on the wall is really precious to you, a place where you might go and, and at times um, lay some flowers down, put a photo, burn a candle. It's really precious. But there's no scrap of evidence that anyone went back to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were no flowers, no candles, no photos, no shrine to a dead man. Why? Because he's not dead, he's alive. Now I could go on, right, but I won't. But my point is this. We can have certainty, right, because the best historical analysis makes it plain that Jesus' tomb was empty and that plenty of people really did think they saw him alive. We've got the kind of historical evidence a resurrection would leave behind and much more evidence pointing in that direction than we would expect if it was mere legend or myth or a fraud. So my first question to you this morning on this Easter day, it's really simple but really significant. Do you really believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you really believe that the tomb was empty? Like like that Jesus was bodily raised and is alive and well. Do you trust it? You see, these are the facts. This is the evidence to give us, to give you, me, certainty. What about the implications? What about the implications? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead changes everything. It changes your past, it changes your present, and it changes your future, my past, my present, my future. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is testimony to the goodness of God's power and the power of God's goodness, a power that undoes death, the power that empties the grave, a power that makes all things new, where life will reign over death and decay will give rise to transformation. God raised Jesus from the grave and he will raise all those who are united to him by faith. The risen life of Jesus overflows to everyone and anyone united to Jesus through faith. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21, For since death came through a man, 
the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You know, we, if you're in Jesus, are children of the resurrection, looking forward now in faith to the future. And so Peter writes to Christians like you and me in the first century, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is extraordinary. This is utterly wonderful. Actually, in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, this is, well, it's a eucatastrophe, he says. That's the opposite of a catastrophe, right? And in the midst of the COVID-19 catastrophe, don't we need to know afresh this reality and share it liberally? The reality of the resurrection also gives new meaning to those words that so often we hear in Scripture. You know, do not be afraid. I mean, in light of Jesus' resurrection, we can truly live that out. I mean, there are so many implications of the resurrection that we could be here till Easter 2021. But I'm just going to limit this morning to five implications of the resurrection. My top five. Number one, the resurrection tells us who Jesus really is. The resurrection tells us who Jesus really is. You see, the resurrection is proof that Jesus Christ of Nazareth really was the Messiah. Not a false prophet, not a royal pretender, not a mere martyr. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of all. The resurrection is the divine sign that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew chapter 28. He is God's son. He is the heir of all things. So when we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus to those who don't yet know him, it's not a case of like, oh, you'll never guess what happened last Sunday. You know, our dear friend Jesus Christ of Nazareth got a raw deal in his trial and then came back to life after a horrible execution. You know, isn't God really nice? No, I mean, he is nice, but it's more than that. The resurrection means that Jesus is the climax, was the climax of God's plans for the world. The promised sin smasher, the promised death crusher of Genesis chapter 3, where the world span out of control because of our rejection of God. The one whom God promised would come into the world and crush sin and deal with death once and for all. He has come. Jesus is the Messiah. He is our hope. Number two. The resurrection means that the new age has already begun. So, right, many Jews believed that God would resurrect everyone. Well, at least he would resurrect the righteous at the end of the age. The final vision in the book of Daniel reports that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. When Jesus told Martha that her dead brother Lazarus would, would live again, She assumed that Jesus was referring to the resurrection at the end of the age. So she says in John chapter 11, verse 24, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, the strange thing is that many Jews hoped that God would, that what God would do for the world 
sorry, what God would do for Israel the end of history, God has done for Jesus in the middle of history, raising him from the dead. The new age has begun with Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits of the future resurrection and the firstborn of the new creation. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that history has edged closer to its appointed goal. The future has invaded the present and the present age, thanks be to God, will not continue forever. See, God has invaded the present order of things, bringing life in the face of death, freedom in the midst of condemnation, and praise God, rays of hope in the caverns of fear. And number three, the resurrection means that we can be saved. I want to make it really clear, right, that we are saved in, by, and through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. As it says also in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul is saying that we cannot be justified, made right with God, and we cannot be forgiven if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. The Apostle Peter affirms this, right? Back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's the point? God's justice, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, the new birth, his new life and hope are given to us through the crucified and risen Jesus. A dead Jesus can be a teacher, a dead Jesus can be a martyr, but he cannot be a saviour. But Jesus is risen, and so we in him are forgiven, right with God, ready to serve him, both now and into eternity. Number four, the resurrection is, is critical to our following Jesus. The resurrection is critical to our discipleship, in other words. The resurrection of Jesus, right, above all, gives us purpose and meaning and and sets us back on our feet to live and get ready, get busy doing kingdom business. Um, N.T. Wright writes this, When Jesus rose again, God's whole new creation emerged from the tomb, introducing a world full of new potential and possibility. Indeed, precisely because part of that new possibility is for human beings to be revived and renewed. The resurrection of Jesus does not leave us passive, helpless spectators. We find ourselves lifted up, set on our feet, given new breath in our lungs, and commissioned to go and make new creation happen in the world. The resurrection means that we have the task of proclaiming and also embodying before the world exactly what the new creation is and exactly what it will be like. At Living Word Bible Church, you are a resurrected people if you are in Jesus. And you and I are to demonstrate that resurrection life lived out in our daily lives and work and family and community. 
I just love actually how Paul ends 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that extraordinary and really lengthy but beautiful passage about the resurrection. He has this stunning imperative right at the end, um, a command in, uh, in verse 58. I love this. Listen to this. Therefore, this is like, therefore, in light of the resurrection, in light of the fact that Jesus is alive, you are right with God, your sins are forgiven, you have eternal life. He says this, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's Paul telling the Christians in Corinth and by extension you and me to just to hold your ground. Don't let up. Don't give up. Why? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in you. Our certain future, the new creation, gives purpose and drive and hope in the present and empowers us to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. I don't know. If you're contemplating missionary service, you're thinking about adding your name to a roster at church. Maybe you're keen to learn how to preach. Maybe you're thinking of becoming a kids church leader. I don't know. Maybe you're wondering about how you could join with someone to, to end sex trafficking in the world, to overcome poverty in parts of our nation. Whatever it is, brothers and sisters, do it. Do it. And here's the reason why. The resurrection moves us to take risks for God. Because the resurrection proves that God is behind us, he is for us, and he is with us. Our labour for the Lord is not in vain. And fifthly, and finally, the resurrection transforms death so that we can enjoy God forever. I've been singing songs and I've been quoting songs pretty much all Easter. So here's another one. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. The power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. No guilt in life. No fear in death. The reality is that one person in the world dies every three seconds. Today, 250,000 people have died. That's just normal without COVID-19. We can't avoid death. But listen to this. The tomb was empty. We live and die. The Christ died and lived. Death is not the end. Death has been defeated. I love this quote. Christ broke up every funeral service he ever attended because death could not exist where Jesus was. Amen? And if you're in Jesus, death is not the end. It transforms our grief. It transforms our own attitude to our own death. And it also helps us as we care for those who are also dying. And please don't forget that bound up with our justification and our forgiveness and our hope is the hope of a new body. Perfect bodies. You're getting a new body. It'll be imperishable. It will never spoil. It'll never fade. You know, I was reminded of this week that our bodies are weak and they're fragile and they're decaying. 
I had a Zoom catch-up with a woman whose husband has died. And and I, I sat with him as he breathed his last. This man had extraordinary faith in the Lord Jesus. And just minutes before he died, through breathlessness, he was talking about heaven. He was talking about his new body. He was talking about his new legs. He was talking about his perfect liver and how he was going to leap in heaven. And he was right. Because of the resurrection, you and I are going to have new bodies. No more cancer, no more pneumonia, no more coronavirus, no more disease. Perfect, imperishable bodies. And don't you long for that? You know, I want to say today, if you, if you don't yet long for that, one day you will. And you've got to remember, right, that Jesus was bodily raised from the grave. And one day you'll have a resurrection body that will never perish, spoil. Or faith. So I'm asking you again here today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was raised? Because if we do, it changes today. It changes tomorrow. It changes every day. And so with the Apostle Peter, we say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the wonderful reality that the tomb on that first Easter morn, was empty. And we pray, Lord, with great thanks and praise that Jesus is the ruling, reigning, risen King, the long-promised Messiah, who hasn't just died for our sins on a cross, but has been risen, raised again for our justification and that we might enjoy you forever. Father, we pray that perhaps like never before we'd know the reality of Jesus' resurrection and live lives worthy of our calling. Live lives boldly proclaiming the good news, boldly embodying the reality of the resurrection. Father, help us, Lord, even in these days to take risks for you because we know that in you we are secure, that through you we have purpose. Father, help us in all that we do to bring glory to your name for the good of those around us, for your honour and glory and for our joy. Amen.
Our brothers and sisters, we're going to pause for a moment now and come before our Heavenly Father in prayer. So would you uh, bow your heads, close your eyes? Uh, would you, uh, you may want to kneel on the floor um, in your lounge room, whatever it is, uh, to help you hear and join in. And by the end, join with me in a hearty amen. Uh, so let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the sovereign Lord of the universe. We praise you that the nations of the world are like a drop in a bucket and like the dust on the scales to you. We are thankful to know that you own the cattle on the thousand hills and that nothing is too hard for you. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you know the number of hairs on our heads and that all the days that you've ordained for each one of us were written in your book before any of them even happened. Father, we thank you that you can be trusted. Thank you, Father, for the trust and the faith you've given us. Lord, help us to trust you more. Lord, thank you that the coronavirus and all the frightening circumstances popping up around it are not frightening to you. Thank you that you know everything there is to know about the virus. Father, thank you for the desperately needed reminder that we need you. Lord, we confess that we spend so much time thinking and acting as if we were self-sufficient. Lord, forgive us. Help us to remember that we, we do depend on you for everything that we need. We depend on you whether we're healthy or sick. We depend on you whether the global economy is healthy or sick. So, Father, use this unusual time to teach us to trust you during the good times and the bad. Father, do pour out your common grace on our world. Do halt the virus in its tracks. Father, we thank you that all things are possible for you. We do ask that you would bring healing to a sick world. Please, Lord, heal those who are already ill. Please prevent the elderly and others who are especially vulnerable to this virus from contracting it. Please intervene, Lord, to slow the spread of the virus in countries all over the globe. Lord, please give wisdom, insight and knowledge to scientists and researchers as they seek to find effective treatments for this virus, especially a vaccine. Lord, provide a vaccine to come quickly, that it will be tested, developed and made available without too much hindrance. Father, please give wisdom to all rulers and officials who are making vital decisions who are under such enormous pressure. Guide their hands so they might make decisions based on both truth and love. Lord, withhold power and influence from anyone who would use this time for selfish gain of any kind. Lord, please be with church leaders making big decisions that will affect many people and how we fellowship together. Please give them wisdom on how best to listen to governing authorities and to respect the directions that are given while still caring for one another and prioritising the need to encourage one another as we see the day of Christ drawing near. Father, wherever gatherings are interrupted, provide ways for your people to stay connected to each other, ways to strengthen and care for each other in creative and genuine ways. Please be especially gracious to those who are already lonely, 
and may feel particularly isolated during these times. Loving Father, at this time of great need, please pour out your saving grace on our world and bring many people into your kingdom in an extraordinary way. Please use this virus and all the circumstances surrounding it to bring people to their knees, turn people's hearts and minds back to you in repentance and faith. Enable us all to see that for too long we've based our lives on shifting sand. Bring people all over the world, whether for the first time or in a fresh way, to turn to the Lord Jesus as their rock and put their hope and trust in him. Thank you that no matter where we've wandered or how far away we've run from you, you are always ready to welcome us back through Jesus. Please help us to be strong and courageous not afraid or discouraged, because you are near. Help us not to be anxious, but to come to you with requests that we have in prayer. And thank you that as we do that, your peaceful presence guards our hearts and minds in Jesus. And Lord, at this time, when it feels like the whole world is changing, we praise you, Father, that you never change. We praise you, Lord Jesus that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's in the mighty name of our risen Lord Jesus this day that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's been wonderful to gather on this Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Um, As we go out today uh, into this world in these unusual times, uh, may you rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness as you go out be evident to all because the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything because Jesus is alive and he has you in the palms of his hand. But should you be anxious, come before the Lord Jesus. Come to your heavenly Father through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and praise God that the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. On this Easter day, keep living for Jesus. Keep loving like Jesus. And we'll see you soon.